Let's turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, I want to read verses 11 through 17, which we attempted to get through last week. However, we only got through verses 11 and 12. So, today we're going to attempt to get through verses 13 through 17. But let's begin reading in verse 11. Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against your soul, or the soul, having your conduct honorable among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. Those are the verses we covered last week. We continue on. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors or as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice or sin, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Let's pray. Father, once again we come to you and ask that you would bless, anoint, empower this time of Bible study, this teaching of your word, that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher, be our guide. And lead us into all truth. Bless this time of study this morning. May it bring forth much fruit in each of our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, again, he talks about the fact that we're sojourners, pilgrims, foreigners, aliens. This world is not our home. Therefore, we're to abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. Covered all that last week. And talking about having our conduct honorable among the Gentiles so that even if they do speak against us as evildoers, and by the way, that sure is happening today. We are definitely living in the time that Isaiah spoke of when people would call evil good and good evil. And when we stand up for traditional, biblical, heterosexual marriage, when we stand up for the unborn and we speak out against abortion and all the other issues that Christians should be taking a stand about, we are labeled as evil, as haters, and all the various name tags that go with it. But Peter says, abstain from these fleshly lusts, the desires of the flesh, the things that the people in the world indulge in on a regular basis. So that even if they do try to label us as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. You probably won't get a lot of positive affirmation and recognition in this life for doing the right thing. But what he is telling us is that when we see God one day, when we see the Lord face to face, that we will see that there are people that will be there as a direct result of our witness and our testimony, that in spite of being persecuted, in spite of being labeled as evildoers, they see our witness, they see our testimony, and ultimately they will glorify God and they will be there with us 
on that day of visitation. And he says, therefore, in light of these things that we've just discussed, here's another aspect of what our Christian conduct should look like. He digs in now to specifics. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme. Again, now, the two previous verses emphasize the fact that we are aliens and strangers here. Our citizenship is in heaven. But we have to be careful that we don't begin to think because of that, we're above and beyond the authority of man. Because Peter specifically tells us here, submit. That is a voluntary commitment of service to others. If you submit your application for employment, that's your choice. You can submit it or not submit it. And when you submit to earthly authority, you have a choice. Now, when it comes to your employment, your vocation, your income, you may choose not to submit and they may choose not to give you a job. In the church. You know, and again, people always want to throw out the proverbial baby with the proverbial bathwater. But when the church is operating the way it's supposed to be, submission to authority is voluntary. There are some churches, some religious groups that try to force people and place them under an involuntary submission. That's not biblical. That's not how Jesus operates. And I've seen so many people damaged by getting involved in these groups, uh, the shepherding movement, where they try to control every aspect of your life, who you can date, who you can marry, how you can spend your money. That is not God's way. That's man's way. Submission means to submit. It's to voluntarily commit yourself to the service of others, a voluntary commitment of service to others. And yet, Peter tells us to do it. If you want to walk in obedience to God, then you have to voluntarily submit yourself to authority, both in the secular world and in the church world. He says, to every ordinance of man. Now, even though human government is, quote, man-made, we are to submit to it as Jesus would and as He did. Remember when the issue of taxes came up? He sent Peter, and he Jesus knew about a fish, because Jesus knows everything about everybody and everything, with a coin in its mouth. Fish are attracted to shiny objects. But Jesus tells Peter, go get this fish, he's going to have a coin in his mouth, and with that, you can pay the taxes. And Jesus said, Render under Caesar that which is Caesar's, and unto God that which is God's. And he told Pilate, when Pilate was interrogating him, Pilate says, Are you a king? And Jesus says, My kingdom is not of this world. And so Jesus submitted to human authority, even though he's God. And even though that authority is not always good, sometimes God allows evil men to be placed in positions of authority 
And those evil men will do harm to those who have not put their faith, hope, and trust in God. And they may also do harm to those who have. But the thing is, for those who belong to God, there is no such thing as bad. Whatever God allows in our lives, He intends to use it for good. The worst that can happen is they kill you. And that might not sound like a lot of fun to you, but really that means you just got promoted. The worst they can do is send you to heaven. Is that all you got? Thank you. Thank you. Right? But now if you don't know God and they kill you, well, you're going someplace else. And that's the point of Peter's teaching here. Peter makes no distinction, by the way, as to the form of government. Be it democracy, be it communism, be it fascism. In a moment, we'll bring a little clarity to this. Romans 13, 1 and 2, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist are appointed by God. It has been said at various times by different people, God gives people the president, the king, the government they deserve. Hello? Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. One of the charges that can be brought against you in our country is resisting arrest. Not advisable. But I haven't done anything wrong. Well, the moment you resist arrest, you give the appearance that you have. And in fact, if you didn't do anything wrong before, you're doing something wrong now. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. Now, there's a very key phrase here in this verse. Therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man. And that goes against our grain because we are, our human nature is that we are by nature rebellious. We don't like anybody telling us what to do. And you can apply this in your every area of your life that there's going to be a natural tendency of the flesh. Remember Peter said abstain. Did you know that one of our fleshly desires is rebellion? It's to do our own thing. To resist submitting to anyone or anything. Further down the line, we're going to get into how this relates in the marriage relationship. That's really going to be fun. That's really going to be fun. I can't wait. I'm anticipating a massive rise in my popularity. In the meantime, here's the key phrase that I mentioned a moment ago. For the Lord's sake. It's sad how often when we do things, say things, act or behave in a certain manner, we give absolutely no thought to the Lord. It's all about me. What about my needs? No, you're violating my rights. You can't do that. I have a startling revelation for you. Now, this isn't the first time I've said this, so if you've been here for a while, you've already heard it. Here's the startling revelation. You're not going to like it. 
So much of what I say you don't like. But you keep coming back. You don't have any rights. Hello. You don't have any rights. You belong to God. He bought and paid for you with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And I've told you many times, don't ever ask God to give you what you deserve. I no longer live, Paul writes. I am crucified with Christ. Christ lives in me. I'm dead. Dead people don't have any rights. Other than perhaps the right to a decent burial, they probably don't even have that. We want to honor them, love them, remember them. But you get my point here. And the wonderful thing about not having any rights is they can't be violated if you don't have them. So that just removed a gigantic part of what causes people to get offended all the time. You have no right to treat me that way. Well, you're right, and I have no right to expect you to treat me any other way. We have no rights. If you don't have rights, they can't be violated. You just take everything to God. Lord, what that person did or said really hurt me, but in Jesus' name I forgive them, and I pray that you would touch their heart. Does that sound like a good godly prayer? You can't get offended if you don't have rights. And we are to be people that are not easily offended. For the Lord's sake. This, folks, is what makes it an otherwise, an otherwise impossible task possible. In the natural, in the flesh, submitting to every ordinance of man, to submitting to all human authority, is an impossible task. It goes against everything within us within our human nature. What makes it possible is that we are doing it for the Lord's sake. Well, if you think I'm going to submit to that idiot, you've got another thing coming. And you know what? That person might be an idiot. You might be an idiot too. But you do it as unto the Lord, to honor Him, to glorify Him. You know, it's been kind of worn out now, but the phrase... What would Jesus do, right? WWJD, what would Jesus do? We know from the Scriptures what would Jesus do. A group of evil men came and arrested Him without cause, gave Him an illegal trial with false witnesses, and then ultimately got Him condemned to death and crucified. And what did He do? He submitted as a lamb led to the slaughter. Again, that's not something you do in the natural. That's not something you do in the flesh. You would fight with every fiber of your being if that happened to you. Or would you? Because if we're going to be like Jesus, then we would submit. Colossians 3.17 Whatever you do, whether in word or deed... Whatever you do, whether in word or deed, your words, your actions, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. Boy, if Christians would just follow this, then a lot of the things we get involved in, we wouldn't get involved in. Because you can easily say then, well, 
If Jesus wouldn't do it, then I shouldn't do it. Do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Can you do what you are doing, what you're involved in? You're involved with someone else's husband or wife. Can you do that in the name of the Lord Jesus? I commit adultery with you now in the name of Jesus. Can you do that? I fornicate with you now in the name of Jesus. I now steal your wallet in the name of Jesus. Can you do that? Gosh, just think how much better our lives would be if we thought about this before we did the things we do. Now I cuss you out in the name of Jesus. In fact, I've already used his name several times. You get, the, my, get my drift? Verse 23. This is in the NIV. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. This should be our approach to life as believers. Again, if you have a flaky boss, an uh, inconsiderate, thoughtless boss who never gives you a kind word, never gives you any encouragement, never gives you a raise, and behind his back you want to curse him and really probably do a substandard job because you figure, why should I even try? Why should I bother? He doesn't appreciate it anyway. I never get any kind of reward for my efforts. But wait a minute. You're not working for him or her. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men. How do you become a top-notch, top-flight, first-class employee, or for that matter, a boss if you're in that position? Whatever you do, do it with all your heart, not half-heartedly, and do it as though you're doing it for God because you are. Get it? You see, folks, for the believer, submission is essential because, and this may catch you by surprise as well, but maybe not, it shouldn't, the opposite of submission is rebellion. If you're not submitting, even though we've defined submission as a voluntary commitment of service to others, if you're not submitting, you're rebelling. 1 Samuel 15, 23, he's speaking of Saul and Saul's disobedience to God. Saul was supposed to kill off all of the, um, the Amalekites, the king, the people, men, women, children, cattle, because they were vile pagans who had rebelled against God for centuries. But Saul did not completely obey. He did not kill the king for one thing and he also did not kill the livestock and his excuse was he wanted to offer up as a sacrifice to God. That was a bunch of baloney. And that's what caused God to remove his blessing from Saul and to anoint David as king. And so Samuel says rebellion. Speaking of Saul, you've rebelled against God. Samuel said, obedience is better than sacrifice. Since, Saul, you said the reason for keeping these cattle and disobeying God was to sacrifice them to the Lord. Let me tell you something, Saul. Obedience is better than sacrifice. Let me read the verse and I'll talk about this. For the rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft and stubbornness 
is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord, he hath also rejected thee from being king. There are people that will do all kinds of good things, good works, humanitarian efforts, give lots of money perhaps to the church, make all of these kinds of what we would call sacrifices. But then they don't obey God at all. They don't follow His Word. They don't follow the teachings of the Scriptures. They just live their lives any way they want and they think because they do all these good works that God is pleased with them. No. Samuel says obedience is better than sacrifice. If we are unable or unwilling to submit to earthly authority, it's extremely doubtful that we are submissive to God either. There are those, well, you know, in fact, Paul even talked about it. The, there were already divisions, there were already denominations starting to come into the church in the first century. Some people saying, well, I'm of Cephas or Peter. I'm a follower of Peter. By the way, Peter has uh, been nominated to be the first pope. So I'm following Peter. I'm of Cephas. I'm of Apollos. Apollos wasn't one of the twelve, but he came on the scene a little bit later and became well known as a great orator, a great speaker. And there were those who became followers of Apollos. And Paul was very much against that, these people following a man rather than Jesus Christ. Paul wanted no part of it. And then he also said, that there were some who said, well, I'm of Jesus. We're the really spiritual ones, you see. But it, again, it was a, a religious spirit. It was a hypocritical spirit. They weren't saying it out of a pure heart. They were trying to elevate themselves above the followers of Cephas and Apollos and so forth. And there are those today like that who claim, oh, I don't submit to any man. I only submit to God. I'm going to tell you something right now. If you don't submit to human authority, then you are a liar and you do not submit to God either. They go hand in hand. They go hand in hand. If you can't submit yourself to an imperfect pastor, by the way, there are no other kinds. There are some who do a really good job of portraying themselves in that light. I make no effort to do that and you know it. I'm not sure if that was a good thing or not. I make no effort to portray myself as something or someone that I am not. I am a vile, wretched sinner, saved by grace, called to do what I do, and I do it because of Him. I'm not worthy. But there are those mavericks out there. I've, I've met them through the years. I've seen them over and over again. They can't go to church anywhere. Because they're too spiritual. They're too smart. They're too good. They claim to only submit to God. And again, I'll tell you, that's a lie. If you cannot submit to an imperfect human being, whether it's in the workplace, in the church, in the school, in the home, then you can't submit to God either. Now, having emphasized all that because that's what Peter's teaching us about. I believe there is a scriptural exception clause, if you will, to this idea of submission. 
And I, as far as I can tell, there's only one. Acts 5.29, Peter and the other apostles were brought before the Sanhedrin, rebuked. Why? For doing some horrible, evil thing. Well, no, but in the eyes of the Sanhedrin, it was horrible and evil, just like we're seeing today in our world, in our society. Again, I talked about it at the beginning of the message. All over the world, Christians are being labeled as evildoers, haters, because we stand up for the truth. Because we proclaim the name of Jesus, the only name given under heaven by which man must be saved. The name above all names. One mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Well, the apostles, of course, were preaching Christ. As Paul says, we preach Christ and Him crucified. They were out witnessing, evangelizing, sharing the gospel, and healing people in the name of Jesus. And the Sanhedrin forbid them, brought them in before the group, and forbid them to do this any longer. To not talk about Jesus, not say His name, not teach about Him, not preach about Him, not heal the sick in the name of Jesus. And here's the response. Peter and the other apostles answered and said, We ought to obey God rather than men. Sorry, guys. In this instance, you see, and so here is the single exception to this whole thing we just talked about regarding submission. When the laws of man are in direct violation of God's law, we must choose God and be willing to suffer the consequences. Just because we choose God, just because we take a stand, doesn't mean that we aren't going to suffer consequences. Do you get it? And as more and more of man's laws that are being put into effect are contrary to the laws of God, there's going to be a greater and greater probability that we will be punished. It's already happening. Some of the examples of these Christian business people, bakeries, photographers, florists, having this demand put upon them that they cater to gay weddings. They should have the freedom and the choice to say no. You remember back in the day, I don't see this very often anymore, most, just about every eating establishment, every place that served food would have a sign in the window. No shoes, no shirt, no service. I don't, today people bring their dogs and cats. I probably shouldn't tell you this because you may not go there anymore. My wife works at El Pinto. And now you can't forbid someone from bringing their pet into the restaurant. So she's seen dogs and cats eating off of people's plates on their tables and everything else. Insanity is upon us. But when the laws of man are in direct violation of God's laws. Forced sterilization. It's already being practiced in some places. 
could be coming to America. They're saying that natural birth, the way we've always had birth, is going to become obsolete in the near future and all uh, pregnancies will be a result of in vitro fertilization, test tube babies and so forth, that the way we normally have babies won't be around anymore. Thereby giving them more control over who gets born, who doesn't, what gender they will be, what ethnicity they will be, what their IQ will be. And when those kinds of things begin to happen as believers, I believe we have to resist. That's when the laws of man conflict with the laws of God. Forced sterilization, forced abortions. When the laws of man come into conflict with God's laws, and even if we're not there yet, but we will be talking about the marriage relationship, and I've always said that this idea of submission comes down to as long as our spouse or our boss or whoever it might be is not asking us or trying to force us to do something that is unbiblical, illegal, or immoral, and they kind of all go hand in hand, then we should submit. But if you're being asked or required or expected or forced to do something that's unbiblical, immoral, or illegal, then you have a responsibility to say no. For example, if your husband or your wife, it's more likely to be the other way around, would try to force you into prostitution, you do not have to submit to that and you should not. So let's just clarify that. And I think we have. All right. Verse 14, first he mentions the king. Now it's governors as to those who are sent by him, by the king, for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. That would be nice. (laughs) Some praise for those who do good. So Peter first mentions the king, now the governor. He's going from the highest authority, working his way down the chain of command. And so we could say that this would apply all the way down to the lowest representative, dog catcher perhaps. The requirement's the same. We're to submit to human authority. And he says that these governors are sent by him, by the king, for the punishment of evildoers. Again, we are now in the midst of a very flawed and imperfect system that's getting worse all the time, but it's still better than anywhere else on the planet. That's kind of scary. It's still the best system around. Romans 13.3 Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. Now, down through the course of human history, there have been governments, systems, regimes that have become so corrupt that the people have risen up against it. And I think that's a godly thing. How many of you have heard of 1776? The American Revolution. There were many godly, Bible-believing, God-fearing, Jesus-loving Christians who rose up against a tyrannical system and brought forth What does Abraham Lincoln say? Our fathers brought forth on this continent a new nation conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Right? 
I'd, I think it would be very difficult to argue that God was not with those men and women who stood up. So there comes a point, like I say, when man's laws and God's laws are not meshing. Don't anybody read anything into what I just said now? Suppose you could if you wanted to. Now, are people sometimes unjustly accused and even punished? Yes, certainly. But again, as I made a point earlier, if that happens to you, there's no terror in it, for it is God's will, and He is with you. The Bible tells us where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. If you've never read Fox's Book of Martyrs, read it. It's a classic. It tracks several centuries of Christian persecution and how God would send His angels to minister to those people. God is with those who suffer for Him. I would propose to you that the sufferings endured by the ungodly are much, much worse than the sufferings endured by the followers of Christ. He loves you. And He will be with you to comfort you and strengthen you in that hour. If you're afraid to submit because you think it's going to result in harm to you, that means you're not trusting God. You don't have enough faith in God to believe that He will take care of you, protect you, watch over you, comfort you, and carry you through to the other side. 1 Peter 2.20 For what credit is it if, when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently? In other words, Peter is saying, if you did something wrong and you're being punished for it, you have no room to say, well, boy, look how I'm patiently suffering for Christ. He's, no. You, you're getting what you deserve. You can't take credit for it. But when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. Again, the Scriptures make it very clear, very obvious, that there will be times when that will happen. Jesus said, in the world you'll have tribulation. The world hates me, they're going to hate you. Is there going to be times when people are unjustly accused and punished? Yes. And that is where the greater opportunity for the glory of God comes in. Again, Peter says, there's no credit, there's no big deal there when you suffer for doing something wrong. You can't use that as some powerful testimony. Man, I stole a hundred bucks out of the cash box and the boss fired me. I'm being persecuted. No, you're not. You're being justly punished for doing something wrong. Man, I can't believe it. One of the employees stole a hundred dollars out of the cash box. I replaced it and the boss fired me. Now that's being persecuted for godliness. See the difference? Wow, Peter goes on in verse 15. He says, for this is the will of God. Wow. This is the will of God that those who are sent by Him, by the King, for punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do good. This is God's will. That by doing good, so when we do the right thing, 
We are walking and living in the will of God. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. Leonard Ravenhill said, Spiritual maturity comes not by erudition. That means education, knowledge, learning. Spiritual maturity doesn't come from education and knowledge and learning, but by compliance with the known will of God. Compliance with the known will of God results in spiritual maturity. In other words, again, the best source we have for the, to know the will of God is the, is the Bible, the Scriptures. People say, I don't know what God wants me to do. How, when's the last time you read your Bible? It's very clear in there. You know, if, if there's an area where you don't seem to know or understand God's will, get in the Scriptures and let Him speak to you. And if you can't find a specific answer at that moment in time for what you're looking for, then concentrate on what He has shown you. There's plenty. Oh, I already did all that. Really? You did all this. I haven't. I never will in this lifetime. There's plenty to know from the Scriptures concerning the will of God, enough to keep us busy for the rest of our lives. Spiritual maturity comes not by erudition, but by compliance, obedience, with the known will of God. He says, Peter says in verse 15, For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, the slanderers that we looked at last week in verse 12, that call you evil, an evildoer, when actually you're a doer of good. No, you're not perfect. But as believers, we are constantly striving or should be to do good. There's also some good news in this verse, I think. Peter says, By doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. The good news, it's also God's will to shut the mouths of foolish, ignorant men. I like that. Just make sure you're not one of them. He does want to shut their... You want to shut their mouths? God wants to even more than you do. And he says you do it by doing good. Proving them wrong. Just like we've told our kids so many times, right? You know, our kids will come to us, somebody's bullying them, harassing them. It could be one of the kids. It could be the teacher. Saying bad things about them that aren't true. And what do we tell our kids? Honey, prove them wrong, right? Prove them wrong by doing the right thing. And that's what God says about us as well. It's not by arguing, debating, coming to blows, laying on of hands in the name of Jesus. It's by doing good. Because it is. Now it can be done, and it has been done, and will be done, but it is extremely hard to mock someone who's a model citizen. And you might say, but the world we're living in today, that's becoming more and more common. You know what? That's not our problem. That's God's problem. Our issue is to obey Him. And we have to remember, it's not our reputation we're protecting. It's His. It's God's. That's another place where I think we really get tripped up. We worry so much about protecting 
Our reputation. Your reputation was shot the minute you were born. The first words out of your mouth were, No! Mine! Stop! Your reputation never existed. You're not protecting your reputation. You're protecting God's reputation. Second Peter 2.16 As free, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. As free, we are free, yet not using liberty, your freedom in Christ, as a cloak for vice, as a cover for sin, but as bondservants of God. Jesus died to set us free. Yes, that's true. Not to put us under bondage. But And Peter isn't speaking of legalism. He's speaking of liberty. And the biblical definition of liberty takes us right back to where we started in verse 11. Abstaining from fleshly desires. Freedom in Christ doesn't mean you can do whatever the heck you want because you're saved You have eternal security. You can't lose your salvation. So if you want to go back out and start sinning again, go for it. That's not what it means. Freedom in the Bible, freedom in Christ, means freedom from the desires of the flesh that they no longer rule over you. They no longer control you. You now have the freedom in Christ to say no to sin. Before you knew Him, you couldn't do that, could you? It's like Lay's potato chips. You can't eat just one. Right? You had no strength to resist. I couldn't help myself. How many times have you heard that one? So true freedom in Christ is the freedom to say no to sin and yes to God. And so he says, you're free, yes, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, or a veil, literally a veil for doing evil. Sexual sin, scamming for money. We've seen these things, people using their so-called Christian liberty for these things. Scandal after scandal. Second Timothy 3.6, Paul writes, This sort are those who creep into the households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts. How many times have we heard of these cult groups? and even some that would be considered more mainstream Christian groups where the, the, the leaders, the men, take advantage of women, seduce them, a veil or a cloak for vice or for sin. First Timothy 6.5, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. Of, from such, withdraw yourself. And the sad truth is the majority of pastors around the world, and even here in America, don't make that much money. They struggle many times. It's difficult. And yet, I've heard people say more than once, wow, that's a pretty good gig, man, huh? Make some money there because of a few. that, Like the ones Paul writes about, that see godliness as a means of gain. Where they, they are charlatans, they are fakes, they are phonies who use their so-called Christian liberty as a cloak for vice or a veil for doing evil. Romans 6, 1 through 2. Paul says, what shall we say then? 
He's already said where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. There's never so much sin that the grace of God can't cover it and take care of it. Oh, you know, I know Jesus died on the cross from the sins of the world and that's a great thing and I'm really happy for all those who have taken advantage of that, but I'm sorry, my sins are too great. Really? What a prideful, arrogant statement. You're so sinful that God can't fix you? The God of all creation, the God of the universe, His grace just ran out, there's not enough for you? Give me a break. You think you're being humble? No, you're being prideful. You're being arrogant. Oh, God can't fix my sins. My sins are too great. I'm the greatest sinner of all time. No. Where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? There, there was people going around like that in Paul's day saying, well, if that's the case, well, this is pretty cool because the more I sin, the more grace I get. What an abuse. What an abuse of God's grace. Paul says, certainly not. How shall we who died to sin live any longer in it? Again, Paul's talking about that liberty. The freedom we have in Christ. We've been forgiven. We've been saved. We've been set free. Not to continue sinning. To stop sinning. Not using liberty as a cloak for vice. And then he says that as bondservants of God. That literally means a slave. A bondservant is a slave. We are not to be slaves to sin or to man, but to God. And by the way, even if someone is placed in a situation of slavery, either literally, there's many ways of enslaving people, right? But if you are a bondservant of Christ... No one can enslave you. Do you realize that? That's why Paul and Peter talk about this issue of slaves submitting to their masters. That sounds horrible. Very weird, very strange for us in our modern 21st century culture. Here's another news flash. Slavery's been around since the beginning of time. It's not a good thing, but that's what man does to his fellow man. And it's not about color, ethnicity, or anything else. It's about the evil, wicked heart of man wanting to control his fellow man and use his fellow man for his own benefit. It's always been around, and I'm going to tell you something else. It's not going to go away till Jesus comes back. And to demonize any one particular group or nation in history as being the most evil slavers of all time is ludicrous and it's ridiculous and there are people being enslaved in various parts of the world even as we speak. And here in America, we don't do that anymore. Praise God. Let's look at the positive for a change. What do you think? Don't even get me started. We live in such a narrow focus because we don't teach history anymore. It's all about right now. People who don't learn from history are bound to repeat it. But we don't learn it anymore. Our kids don't learn it in school. What they learn in school goes back about 20 years. I hate to tell you, but the world's been around a little bit longer than that. I thought it was going to get done, but I'm getting wound up. 
No one can enslave you if you're a bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that? He whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Who's more free? The guy or gal behind bars who gives their life to Christ now goes to prison fellowship, Bible studies, worships God. They're filled with the joy of the Lord. Right, they're not free to go out into the public. They're confined, but are they? who's more free? Them or the wealthy, elite, banker, politician who is bound up in their sins? Out free, walking around, they got the money to do whatever they want. Who's more free? The person behind bars who knows God, who knows Jesus, who has the joy of the Lord. We are not to be slaves to sin or to man, but to God. We are to submit to earthly authority, not because we're afraid, but because we love God. Oswald Chambers, whenever God touches sin, it is independence that is touched. And that awakens resentment in the human heart. Independence must be blasted clean out. There must be no such thing left, only freedom, which is very different. Freedom is the ability not to insist on my rights, but to see that God gets His. I love that. Last verse. Peter closes this section, verse 17, with a succinct four-point summary of Christian citizenship. One, honor or respect all people. Value them, esteem them, all men. Believers should be conscious of the fact that each human being has been uniquely created in God's image. Just as we're to hate sin, but love sinners, we can respect someone as God's creation regardless of their lifestyle. And that's the type of thing that will win them over. We don't endorse their lifestyle, but we acknowledge the fact that they have been created in the image of God, just like we have we honor them, we respect them, we value, we esteem them without endorsing their behavior. Number two, Christians are to love the brotherhood. That means the believers, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Notice we honor all men. We love the brotherhood. God's family members should love each other. Is that really going on in the church? I hope so. I pray that it is. Galatians 6.10 Therefore, as we have opportunity, writes Paul, let us do good to all. So again, we're to honor, respect, value, esteem all men. We're to love the brotherhood. But Paul says we're to do good to all. That's part of honoring them, respecting them, is doing good. We don't mistreat them just because they're not believers. But then he gives an especially here. We're to do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Because Jesus said that a house divided against itself cannot stand. We might be putting our best foot forward in the world, but if we're not loving one another, the house will crumble. Loving God and loving one another is the foundation of the church. The greatest commandment, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor or your brother as yourself. Thirdly, Christians are to fear God. And the verb fear here, phobiasthi, it doesn't mean to be in terror. It means to be in awe. 
and to have a reverence that leads to obedience. Again, if you really love God, if you really fear Him, honor Him, respect Him, then you will obey Him. Phobo. We get that English word phobia. It's the same root word. And again, I don't believe one will ever truly respect people until he reverences God. Fear God in a healthy way, in a good way. Phobiasty. Reverence that leads to obedience. And finally, the fourth thing that he gives us, believers are to honor the king. Tama'o. It's the verb used at the beginning of this verse. The respect or honor due to all is especially to be given to those God has placed in authority. That can be one of our greatest challenges, but we're called upon to do it. I can't say that I've always been faithful to this. I'm growing too. I'm learning. We need to do that. Hezekiah, Second Chronicles 13.21 In everything that he undertook in the presence of God's temple, this is King Hezekiah, and in obedience to the law and the commands, he sought his God and worked wholeheartedly. Whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord with your whole heart. And what had happened? He prospered. We hear a lot today in certain segments of the church about prosperity. But it always has to do with materialism, material things, naming and claiming it. But we see that Hezekiah prospered because he undertook in the service of God's temple obedience to the law and the commands. He sought his God and worked wholeheartedly and he prospered. You really want to prosper? Then I would propose. We've heard about the art of war. We've heard about the art of the deal. I believe if we really want to prosper, we need to learn the art of submission. Let's pray. Father God, we would confess before you this morning, I'll take the lead. I've not always been as submissive to authority as I should have. I ask your forgiveness. I repent. I confess that. Lord, and we need your help. We talked about it this morning. Without your help, it's an impossible task. But that which is impossible for man is possible for God. So we need your help. And we ask God that you would strengthen us, fill us with your Holy Spirit, empower us, enable us to obey your word, to learn the art of submission. Lord, your word indicates it will be a blessing to us and those around us. We will prosper and we will honor you and glorify you and be a witness and a testimony for you. Thank you, God, for your word. Help us to Line up our lives with the truth of your word. Not try to bring you down to our level, but strive to rise up to your level. We thank you that you've given us the power of the Holy Spirit to help us. You've given us the firm foundation of your word. Help us to build our lives daily upon the truth of your word, the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.